Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is my one and only co-host, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone and especially greetings to you, Ben. It is another wonderful week talking to you about all of the cool new cars that we've been driving recently and I had some really cool cars and you had some really cool cars. I can't wait to talk to you about them. It's so just let's a, get started. It's a blizzard of cool on this week's Unnamed Automotive Podcast. I also want to add that this is episode 46 for oh. anyone who's keeping track, a.k.a. me. Uh, Sammy doesn't keep track so much. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been just over a year that we've been doing this, and 46 episodes is a completely arbitrary milestone that I'm choosing to celebrate. I also will celebrate this with with you. I have a great banner here written, 46 episode best 46 <laughs> episode ever let's hope so fingers crossed okay so let's get to it um i drove two really really good um cars you want to hear about them or what is that how we're starting we're starting with your cars yeah i want to start with okay fine let's start with your cars are maybe are a bit more uh your car is a little bit more interesting so we'll start with that you drove a car from a korean automaker let's hear the whole story about it well, it's more than just a Korean story, Sammy. It's a story mm. about a plucky company that is trying to punch above its weight and get people interested in a segment that most people probably don't think of this brand when they're shopping. You're talking about an underdog story, which everyone's, which is everyone's favorite kind of story, right? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, the whole Sylvester Stallone thing is uh, a common... You mean Rocky. Yeah, that too. It's a common... I don't know if Sylvester Stallone himself was an underdog. Well, he was. I mean, he did write that movie out of nowhere and and got it financed and had it made. And I think that that was kind of a career-defining moment for him. But this isn't really a cinematic podcast, so I'm going to gloss over the rest of his career and just bring us to 2017, where we now have the Kia Stinger and the Kia Stinger GT on the market. Wicked. Okay, now, just to be clear, those aren't two different cars, right? Stinger and Stinger GT are the same thing? Well, they're kind of different cars because they have the same body and the same look and the same platform, but one is a high-performance car aimed at the... It's it's ostensibly aimed at the premium segment, whereas the other one is more of an entry-level version of that car. And okay. Kia's been fairly consistent about branding these cars differently, and I think that's a, a good thing. But uh, what was interesting was I went to Los Angeles to actually North Hollywood to drive the Kia Stinger GT. Mm-hmm. And the GT was – they had – it was a huge event. There were probably 50 journalists there, and we had 25 GTs and only two of the base model. Okay. That means that the base model isn't the exciting vehicle or what? Well, there's a couple things. The first is they're leading with the GT because from a production standpoint – Anyone who's been waiting around for a high-performance four-door sedan hatch thing from Kia, they're going to want to buy the GT. They have the posits down on the GT. They want the most powerful version of the car. So those are the vehicles that are going to be built first. The turbocharged four-cylinder version of the car, the entry-level version, is going to be made later. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here because the whole reason the GT is interesting is that it is a rear-wheel drive four-door hatchback. Think Audi S7. Think Mm -hmm. Uh, Porsche Panamera. Think um, uh, BMW 4 Series Grand Coupe. These are these are the. Can both... I just stop you for a second? Because I just named three totally different cars. <laughs> no, that was just really hypnotic, and I just can't stop thinking about them. Can you tell me to think about something else now? Picture a sandy 
white sand beach with a cerulean blue ocean rolling mm. in the waves gently lapping at your feet as you stare off onto the horizon i'm hear- liking it i want to hear more about the kia G- the kia stinger now though to so, go along with that picturesque landscape. It's kind of weird that I said all those luxury brands in conjunction mm-hmm. with the Kia Stinger GT. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because that is the marketing message that Kia has been pounding into everyone's head since the Stinger was announced. Now, the Stinger is based on a concept car that came out just, I believe, a couple of years ago. Um, previous to that, we also had a GT two-door mid-engine sports car that was never built but all these vehicles share the same kind of styling trends and this is a a car that looks it from the front you have that kia grille but as your eye goes back this is a big meaty muscular looking hatchback it's like nothing else that kia has ever built in terms of styling and in terms of performance, because underneath the hood of that car, there is a 3.3-liter twin-turbo V6 that is putting out 365 horsepower and just under 400 pound-feet of torque. Holy moly. 365 horsepower in a Kia four-door, like, lux- lux- it's a luxury car? It's a tour. Like, it, what do you call this? It's a grand touring car with it's luxury not a sports car. With luxury pretensions. No, it's not a sports car. It's a big car. It's a heavy car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available with all-wheel drive, and if you add all-wheel drive, you're looking at another 200 pounds or so, which mm-hmm. means you're already going to be near the 4,000-pound mark. So um, at that point, you really you're looking at a car that has no direct competitors in the market. I mean, if you're, you're – you want to buy a big sedan these days that has rear-wheel drive. What are you looking at? You're looking at the Dodge Charger? You're yeah. looking at the Chrysler 300. And the Chrysler version of it. I don't think the Chevy SS is available anymore. No, the, the, the SS is dead, and it was sold in extremely small numbers. So past that, you have to kind of move up to a car like the Infiniti G... Uh, sorry, I said G. Uh, Q, wow. uh, Q70? Well, the Q70 seems like a little bit too much. Uh, okay. I would say in, Kia is thinking Q60. But that's a coupe. Q, Q50, I'm sorry. Okay. And they're looking at cars like the not the BMW 3 Series, but the 4 Series Grand Coupe, which is a little bit bigger yeah. than the 3 Series. Yeah. Um, and they're looking at cars like the Audi A5 Sportback. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird situation for them because I can tell you that dynamically, the car is very good, but it's not quite at the same level as those cars that I just mentioned because they're smaller and more sport-oriented. Okay. At the same time, it handles better than a Dodge Charger or a Chrysler 300, which is which are somewhat heavier and use older but that's platforms. Not a, that's not a hard thing to yeah, that's not a hard thing to do. No, but but it's cars, right? it's it's just strange that this car it doesn't have a direct analog, and I think that's both good and bad for Kia because it allows them to kind of forge their own path, but it's bad in the sense that they have to find a customer that wants this car. Okay, that's really interesting. When I spoke to uh, the Kia brand um, when they revealed the, the, the production Stinger in, uh, in Detroit earlier this year, they said they benchmarked the 4 Series Grand um, Coupe. And I wanted to know how this thing could compare to a BMW. And although a lot of people have said that BMWs have kind of lost their, their way in terms of dynamics, they're still quite good. So where is this? You, you don't think the Stinger is quite up to that um, benchmark yet? Well, it's in, it's an interesting idea. I drove them back to back. I drove a four series oh. Grand Coupe back to back with the Stinger GT on an autocross course, mm-hmm. a fairly large autocross course, which was 
not the best performance environment for the Stinger because the Stinger is big and the Stinger right. really shines on an open road where it has enough room to do its business. On a tight course, the 4 Series, it was an interesting experience because we also I also drove it back-to-back with a 650 Grand Coupe, a car That's that... huge. A, a big car that I don't really like on the street, but when you turned off all the electronic nannies and put it on this autocross course, wow, that chassis, I could do anything I wanted to with that car. Really? It was just hanging the tail out, turning in exactly how I wanted it to. It was incredible. I was very impressed. Turn everything, okay. turn everything off in the Stinger. You went to you went to a Kia event and got impressed by a BMW. I hate yeah. it when that happens. And well, they they actually had a Panamera there for us to drive as well. They had all the Infinities that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got into the Stinger and turned everything off, what I found was a chassis that wanted to understeer. It mm. it would kick the tail out like the BMW, but not on command. And I think it was probably an alignment issue. I'm sure that you could make the car. Um, turn in a lot better but it, it just didn't have the same it you felt like it was a big car which is a feeling you didn't have in the much much more expensive bmw now interesting thought experiment my co-driver perry stern he's like you know what the next time you go out there put the car in in its sport plus driving mode which is the the most aggressive uh tuning for the transmission the adaptive suspension and the steering mm-hmm. but leave the traction control on leave it in the sport plus mode you might be surprised by how the car reacts. So I did Which it. Which car? This is the. This is the, the Stinger. This the yeah. Stinger GT. I did that. That's a little that. confusing because then, like every car has the same Sport and Sport Plus. I think almost every automaker has a Sport and Sport Plus these days, right? But but his point was don't turn off all the driver's aids, which is what right. I had been doing. Okay. So I, I wasn't really hopeful. And I went out on the same autocross course, and the car was much, much quicker. Mostly because I couldn't drive like a, like an idiot. I had to really drive smoothly in order to not have the systems intervene and slow me down. So that kind of added an extra dimension to what I think Kia is trying to do with this chassis. It's it's not meant to be a an all-out you know, drift car, even though you could drive it that way if you had it set up properly with tires and alignment. It's meant to be a comfortable grand touring car that's very, very quick in a straight line and handles much better than you would expect a large car to do. And because of that balance that it has, the suspension is softer than you would think for a performance car. We noticed this, um, especially at highway speeds, we were driving beside another Kia Singer GT on a bumpy stretch of road. Like, I say bumpy. It's California. It's a highway. It's not... They, they have these undulating um, asphalt, I don't know what you would call them, aberrations. It's it's kind of a unique thing to the to the state. And you can see the GT moving okay. up and down quite dramatically in its softer oh. suspension setting. Yeah, it, okay. it, it, and... Is it uncomfortable in that sense? Is it like, uh, like being on a boat, like it gets you seasick, or is it soft? It's like well-managed. It's, it's noticeable. Okay. I wouldn't call it uncomfortable, but you do feel the body move in corners at speed. Okay. That being said... If you put the hammer down on this car, no matter how fast you're going, it is incredibly quick. Uh, Going from 75 to 110 miles per hour takes no time at all, and you don't even notice how fast you're going. Uh, 100 miles an hour feels like 75. It's a very, very composed car, Mm -hmm. and that engine is phenomenal. I don't believe whatsoever that it's 365 horsepower. I think it's completely underrated. Um, I would like to see it on a dyno to see how it... You know, it's this is the same engine that you can get in the Genesis G90, the G80, and the G70. This is a very, very good engine. Uh, 
it also sounds fantastic. There is an enhanced auto sound that you can, you know, it's it's fake in some ways. You can control how much fakeness you want. But even from the outside, the car sounds pretty decent. This is, I think, in my opinion, the first Kia drivetrain I've ever had where I felt like it was fun. I felt like the engine had been and transmission had been tuned to put a smile on my face rather than just meet a performance target. That is really impressive because um, Kia is not necessarily known for this kind of um, impressive driving uh, dynamics, right? Especially with the drivetrain. Uh, sorry, in terms of the drivetrain, especially in terms of the drivetrain, because you seemed a little less enthused with the driving dynamics uh, handling wise. They're they're fine, but they're not what Kia's made them out to be. There's been they're like not said, class leading, right? Well, first of all, I don't know what class this car right. is in. Okay. Second of all, it's not a competitor realistically to BMW, Audi, or Mercedes-Benz. I don't think so anyway. Certainly not dynamically. Uh, and in terms of equipment, it's very well equipped, but it's not ad- as advanced as those cars are. Now, this isn't a knock against the Stinger. The Stinger is considerably cheaper than all of those vehicles. It starts at 31000 for the oh, Turbo wow. 4. Yeah, okay. and the, the, the V6 version that I drive starts at 38000 So you can get a whole lot of car for not much money. You can also add all-wheel drive if you want to. It's 2200 bucks, no matter which version of the car you buy. And... Um, even in, in Sport Plus with that all-wheel drive system, 80% of the power is sent to the rear of the car, and you can still kick the tail out, which is something you can't do in a lot of other all-wheel drive cars. So there's a lot of attitude in this car. There's a lot of – Kia is incredibly proud of it. This is something they've been talking about for yeah. over a year. They've been hyping it to the max. They might have oversold it because I feel like I've been saturated with, with hype for the Stinger, but the car is very good. And – I hope it finds an audience because there are not many cars like this anymore, as we pointed out earlier in the, in the podcast. That's really cool. I'm really excited about that because of um, I, I, I hate it when the hype machine is real, right? Like I hate it when people go nuts for a car. It sounds completely um, unrealistic to expect a car that meets everyone's expectations. And when the expectations are sky high, like they are with the with the Stinger, and I felt this way with the Type R. It had really high expectations, um, but this is uh, this is a car that was was benchmarked really highly, and I think it um, has brought back to brought back down to earth. Um, not in a really disorienting way, not in a bad way, but in a reasonable way. It doesn't seem like a bad car, right? No, it's like I just said it was a good car. It's right. actually a very good car. I don't think an autocross course is the place where you would want to test out a large sedan in any case. I mean, if you're going to put it on the track, in order for it to shine, you would need it to be on a large track, a high-speed type of track. It's not it's not a, a handling menace. It's it it can hold its own, but um I'm just happy that there's, you know, rear-wheel drive powerful options that are still available. Another car that I think might kind of match up against the Stinger GT is the Nissan Maxima, even though it's front-wheel drive. It's considerably Mm. less powerful, but it has similar interior space. It's also aimed at the near-luxury crowd. Um, That Stinger GT's back seat is huge, and the trunk area is great with that hatch. Really? Um, Yeah, so uh, it's, it's a very practical car, and the value is incredible. So... Once again, I you know I've never been shy by about talking 
uh, of my fondness for the Genesis brand and how they're mm-hmm. kind of democratizing high-end cars by proving you don't need to load them with a irrelevant gear that nobody really wants in an attempt to one-up a, uh, a competitor, but b also making the pricing realistic and the quality exceptionally high. I think Kia is doing the same thing with this sporty grand touring car. They're saying, hey, you don't have to go to BMW to get a rear-wheel drive car. You could drive 2,000 miles and still feel fresh at the end of that, you know. And even the four-cylinder, it's about 255 horsepower. I drove it briefly. But um, it's it's not fast, but it's certainly not slow, and uh, hmm. it's it's a decent amount of power for the platform. Okay, so then after hearing all this, I have to ask: Is this the best um, Kia on the market? Is the best car Kia's made? I don't know. The the K nine hundred was a really good car. Mm-hmm. That's what I was asking because a lot of people seem surprised that Kia has delivered a luxury car, and I remember the K nine hundred can can get pretty fancy. Um, and I think it used to be offered with a V8. Am I mistaken? No, it, it did. I believe it did have that five liter V8. And that uh, was a thick engine. That was unbelievable. It's a good engine. It's still available from Genesis. Okay. Uh, you can get it in the G90. But honestly, the 3.3 liter is it, it kicks the the five liter V8 all over the place. The, the twin turbo V6 is a much better motor. And in that area, the G, Stinger GT really pulls away from the K900. I I, I love the K900s. Uh, quiet, composed nature. The the it, it almost feels regal driving it around, and the value is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Singer GT is an entirely different animal, so it's not necessarily fair to compare them. But it it's certainly quicker and more performance oriented than anything Kia has built, or at least Kia has brought to North America in the past. And then the next question I have is when they deliver a car that seems as um well composed and fully thought thought through and more than just value like every kia seems to be a really good value proposition they offer a ton of content in a really well finished vehicle um but now the stinger seems to be upping the ante a little bit can we should we expect that quality um in in future kia products you know what i mean I asked that same question to a number of Kia executives who were present at the drive event. I, I was curious, you know, does, like you said, does this thing your GT point towards a future where Kia products are engaging to drive more so than they are now? And not that they're bad. I mean, cars like the Optima sedan are still good to drive, but they're not, they're not enthusiast cars. And the GT is an enthusiast car. Uh, and I was asking specifically, are we going to see something like a Forte Coupe that has performance potential? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, yeah, that's going to happen. I mean, not in so many words, but the company is aiming for that as part of their their image moving forward. They're going to be offering more options like the Stinger GT. I mean, obviously, if the GT tanks in the market and no one buys it, they'll rethink things. But I don't think that will happen. Mm-hmm. And I think they're realistic about the size of the market for a car like this. I mean, remember when the A7 came out and everyone was like, whoa, what's this? And and then everyone bought it. Yeah. So yeah, could, everyone bought one. Everyone like it was it was like a Tamagotchi in in middle school. Like everyone it, had one. It is definitely one of the most common luxury cars I see here in Montreal. <laughs> so um, I think that you know the GT could go a similar route because it's a very similar package stylistically, uh, stylistically in terms of styling, uh, <laughs> but at a much lower price. I'm excited to see how Kia takes the momentum built with the Stinger and pushes it into forward into its next. Um, vehicles now they have a lot of really intre- uh, really strong talent in terms of design and now um, driving dynamics the developing their cars 
and now to take them from beyond a, a, a car that was built to showcase those two elements um, in terms of design and driving dynamics. And now they're going to be able to I, I want to see if they're going to be able to take those lessons learned building a purpose built vehicle and putting it into um, that car. And now um, we'll see how it works with the other cars, the Forte and the Optima and the Soul and uh, maybe even some of the crossovers or something. Even the crossovers? You're looking for like a more engaging crossover from Kia? I mean, are, a lot of people are are really excited about um, crossovers like the Panamera. And, I mean, not the Panamera. The Macan and the Cayenne and the X5. And remember last week I had that GLC, which had some, you know, sporty pretensions to it. So it's always fun to see more um, fun, peppy, um, fast crossovers. Um, not that I think that there's a huge market for it, but it's it's interesting to see what people are trying to do. I don't know if Kia will go that route. I think the Macan is kind of really rarefied air in terms of performance, but definitely in their sedans and and more affordable options, I think uh, I think there's potential. But let's like at that price point that you offered for the base Stinger, that thirty one, yes, thousand dollars. That's a killer price. I mean, considering a G, a base GL uh, CLA, which is a compact luxury i mean we, we say luxury i mean it's in air quotes it's not the most luxurious car you can get from mercedes it just it's also to, it's also considerably smaller it's tiny right and it has a four-cylinder engine that does 200 that makes 200 horsepower a dual clutch transmission that's really um unrefined i would get a stinger in a heartbeat i haven't even driven a stinger and i think that sounds like a better deal than a, than a cla and what's interesting too is the, the 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 GT version with the twin turbo V6. It tops out at forty nine thousand two hundred for the the top trim level, and um, that version of the car I believe includes all wheel drive. I'm not certain, uh, but you're under fifty thousand for the best equipped version of the car. There's there's three trim levels. There's GT, GT1, and GT2. So if you want all the bells and whistles, you're still under fifty thousand dollars. You could pay fifty thousand dollars for a three series easily. Yeah, for sure. And, and you have a smaller car with less performance. So I mean, it's it's this is an interesting tweener car, and that's where I'm not sure where the market's going to be, who's going to be buying this car. I don't think it's going to be cross shopping against um, necessarily BMW uh, buyers, but I do think potentially there are Audi owners out there who would look at this car as something that would be intriguing for what they're looking for in a car, especially in terms of all wheel. If you get the all wheel drive with the hatchback. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And I'm looking forward to driving this myself. I think it might be a surprise of the um, year, but there's a lot of really good cars out there this year. So, well, you know, I think in speaking of good cars, I believe you were also driving a Kia this week. Is that not correct? Actually, no, you were mistaken. See, I was driving um, a Chevrolet Corvette Z06, and I was comparing that to a Acura NSX. But here's the thing. The um, Kia, I mean, sorry, the Corvette, look, a lot of people have been telling me that Corvettes have two doors and big V8 engines, and this car, I'm telling you, the car I drove um, had four doors, was kind of small, it had a 1.6 liter four-cylinder under the hood, which was surprising, Um, and it had a Kia badge on the front. Is that kind of weird? Was that an elaborate joke? Yeah, kind of. And uh, actually, the real case is I had a Rio, a Kia Rio, which is the four-cylinder, uh, I mean, the, the four-door hatchback subcompact from Kia, and it is uh, super affordable. This is a topped-out version that costs 
around $19,000 in the U.S. I'm sorry, I, I, I tuned out there because I was overwhelmed by the sound of the subscribers clicking the unsubscribe button at the end of your joke. Oh, you're mean. <laughs> um, and no, I did not have an NSX. I compared that to a Honda Fit, that Rio to a Honda Fit. Um, the Fit, I don't know if you're aware or if what your thoughts are on the Honda Fit, but it's always been a really easily recommendable car in the, seg- in the segment because it's um, really practical it's um super it's super spacious and it's very fuel efficient you know uh, uh, i i want to ask you a question though about the fit it, it is all of those things that you mentioned but isn't it also a fair bit more expensive than a few of its rivals okay so in this particular situation um we had as i said i had a fully loaded an ex model uh rio and then on the civics i mean on the fit side of things i had the base model which is called the lx trim but okay. i had it with the cvt and the uh, Honda Sensing package, okay? And that came out to about $800 cheaper than a fully loaded Kia Rio EX. Okay, now, so fully loaded. So what did the Kia have in terms of equipment that the Honda didn't have? Um, it had a leather steering wheel. It had a leather shifter. And Ooh. it had leatherette in the seats. What, that's it? Like... In terms of infotainment and safety, both were... cars have both cars have Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. They have the same seven-inch sized screen. They have a bajillion, well, not a bajillion. I think they have a pair of USB chargers, which is really handy. Now, in Canada, the US, the Canadian spec version of the Rio comes with st- standard heated seats and a heated steering wheel. Which this is, is the re- this is the, this is the hatchback Rio, right? Right. Okay. Um, but in the U.S., you don't get any of that stuff. Um, our car also had a de- uh, automatic climate control. You don't get that in the U.S. So as a result, the Canadians have a slightly more expensive car. It comes out to about $25,000. Um, but let's, uh, let me focus on, on what the Fit had. Honda Sensing, which is um, a suite of safety technology that is designed to, to help people. You know, it's, a, it's driver assistance and safety um, features. And it, does it include the absolutely terrible lane watch system? No, it doesn't have lane watch. It has oh, excellent. a lane keep assistance feature, not a departure warning, but a lane keep system that actively, you know, steers the the, the car. Hey, <laughs> oh. Uh, and and um, it has adaptive cruise control in a car that cost less than $19,000. That's in the U.S. or Canada? In the U.S. That's that's amazing. That's Isn't that's it? pretty amazing. Yeah. So even if this car doesn't have the fancy um, interior trim, the technology is all there. Isn't that that's really impressive to me? But if you wanted to compare the two cars at um, the trim level, like uh, a fully loaded Fit would come in at um, would come in at around uh, twenty two thousand um, dollars. Just give me a second. You hear me over here? Yes. Okay. Um, the the Honda Fit comes a fully loaded Honda Fit uh, EX with navigation would come in at twenty two thousand dollars. But as I said, a fully loaded uh, Rio would be uh, still about nineteen thousand. So I think that's really impressive to see uh, Kia keeping things really affordable. Yeah, and so and and I guess if you don't need navigation, you know, like then then things are a little bit more in the in the in the Fit's favor. Yeah, uh, and the impressive part is that both of these cars have Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Impressive to you, maybe. 
I honestly, especially in the fit, one of the cool things I realized was when you use the Google Maps um, navigation system um, and it's guiding you to a destination, the Honda will showcase the turn-by-turn directions in your gauge cluster, which I thought was kind of cool. That uh, is cool. Not just in the infotainment system, but right in another part of the vehicle. Does it work with Waze as well? I'm not one. I don't. I can imagine so. I'm not 100% sure. I haven't tried that yet. Um, so what am I going to say about these two cars? I mean, I, I, in the past, the Fit was the benchmark because it allowed you to do so much. But it's not to say that the Rio is not that good of a vehicle. Um, the Rio, is, in fact, really ups the ante in what is acceptable in a subcompact car. The way it drives in particular is super confident, planted, and refined. And those are things that I don't expect in this class. And I mean, you had the accent a few weeks ago, or a week. Yeah. So how different is the accent from the Rio? I think they're almost identical, um, with the fact that you, I don't think you can get the five door uh, accent in the U.S. No, not at all. So um, I really was impressed with the the driving dynamics of this car. It felt really buttoned uh, down, really like well put together, and. Um, the other thing is the way it looks. It, it, it interior and exterior is very much in line with the rest of the um, Kia uh, design language. So it's attractive. And it's not a car that you would be embarrassed. It's a car that you wouldn't be embarrassed showing up in, which I think is really cool um, for a subcompact car that costs under 20 grand. So uh, what about interior space? Because the fit, I mean, the name kind of is part of the whole package is you can fit a lot of stuff in it because it has the magic seat oh and that's my other question that base model um car does it come with the magic seat as standard yep it comes with magic seats the fit um has 30 more cubic feet of storage when when the seats are folded down than the real only three 30 oh 30 well (laughs) yeah okay so here's where things start to get a little crazy yeah. Because there's no car that comes close to matching the fit it's in that class, I don't think, when it comes to cargo. It's absolutely insane. But actually, it's worth pointing out that the Rio has one, uh, maybe one more cubic feet of storage with the seats all folded up. Yeah, but I mean... So, like, I, unless, you're, unless you're fully comfortable with always throwing the seats down in a fit, that's where it really kicks butt. No, I, I but I think the, the appeal of the fit, it's... It, it's that it's it's like an SUV, but way smaller. I think that the fit, how many cubic feet is it in total? I think it's 50. So that's right away. You're beating a lot of compact SUVs. Yeah, let me, sorry, I had the specs right here. Let me just double check. Um, I think it's 50. And I think that's pretty impressive. A cargo, uh, 52 cubic feet. And so that's more than what the 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 Tiguan, the CX-5. I think it's or if it's not more than it at least matches them. Right. Sorry, and not I 30. Think, uh, it was 20 more cubic feet than the 20 more, uh, 20 more cubic feet than the um than the Rio. It's still quite a bit. That's that's still two full-size sedan trunks it's huge. almost, yeah. you know, like and um it it's also I believe in the fit you could fold the passenger seat in the front forward to put long items in is that is that true as well i 
didn't test that out, but because I know in the HRV, which is based on mm-hmm. the fit in terms of its interior um, cargo management, you can do that. I think you can get items that are seven feet long inside the vehicle, and I believe that's also true of the fit, which is a huge advantage. I mean, it the, all this stuff sounds really academic until you actually have to move something with a tiny car like that, and you start to realize that you you can have an SUV. But the way that the cargo space is managed inside, it might not be practical for what you're moving. Like the wheel wells might intrude too mm-hmm. much. It might not be square. It might have a weird roundness at the top, which means you can't put a dresser drawer in there. It just doesn't fit. Uh, you look at a car like the Fit, and it's been designed from the ground up to swallow pretty much everything it can. And I believe it's fairly rectangular back there, isn't it, Sammy? Yeah, yeah. It's super easy to get stuff in and out of it. I can't get over how versatile it is. Like because of because of this. All of this, um, you know, this way that you can configure the rear seats in the back, in the and the trunk. Um, what is the coolest thing about it is that you know I mentioned it has adaptive cruise control and lane keep assistance, and it has a forward collision warning system. All things that are really like maybe it's annoying to me to me and you who are comfortable driving every day, but maybe to newbies, um, new drivers, it might be really handy to have forward collision warning, and then. It can also appeal to people who love packing, you know, like bicycles or something in their car without wanting to buy uh, a cross a crossover. Or what about older people who don't want to, you know, jump into a big SUV just to, um, just to, just to drive somewhere yeah. in their car that drives? Yeah. So now they can get into a fit, which is really easy to get into, um, and they still have all this space and passenger and cargo space. And and how does it feel out on the road? Like what? Oh, I hate it. I actually, I really don't like driving it um, in comparison to the Rio. It's not very sporty. It's not very like fun to drive. It's very loud. How much um, of that is the is the continuously variable automatic transmission? Yeah, the the CVT is not awesome, but it is really fuel efficient. This thing gets four more miles per gallon combined when compared to the Kia Rio, um, which is significant, and it's super easy to get really good fuel economy in this car. Um, but driving dynamics are not where this thing, um, shines, whereas the Kia Rio is much more, um, fun. It kind of is a little bit rewarding to, to push. At the same time, you know, driving dynamic wise, if you're going to get into a crossover, it's not going to be great either. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, I, I would rather have the fit, which is easy to park and way more efficient than any crossover out there. And I you can get it. Can you still get it with a manual transmission? Yeah, the the base model um, can be had with a manual transmission, but not with that Honda sensing stuff. Okay, so you know there's, there's a bit of a sacrifice if you want to try and make it feel like it has a little bit of performance. But otherwise, if you're just looking for an appliance that's like extremely reliable and has a ton of space and is super efficient, it's really hard not to be into the fit. Absolutely. And uh, it was the one that kind of won out for me between the two. Um, at first, uh, I thought I really enjoyed the, the Kia Rio because, like I said, I never felt really embarrassed driving this, this subcompact. But the more time I spent in the, in the fit, um, the more I liked it, the more I thought it was uh, just about perfect um, for a subcompact car buyer and for the price. Even though I had the base model, it was still really impressive. Well, it's it's great to see that there are so many options available to people who are at that part of the market who are looking for something that, it, you know, they want something that's a step above basic transportation, 
and that fits into their lives perfectly without being forced into the the world of crossovers and SUVs. I'm, I'm all for hatchbacks. They're incredible. I mean, the GT Singer GT's hatchback is is a huge amount of room back there. So it's it's one of my favorite designs. Wicked. Um, now let's talk about one of the other um, things that came out this week. I believe Tesla had a very large um, showcase yesterday or the day before that, um, where they announced um, two new products. Well, it was supposed to be about their semi truck thing, the mm-hmm. uh, their electric uh, transport truck, but it ended up being about the Tesla Roadster, which kind of stole the show at the very end of the presentation. And that's pretty cool. I'm fine with that because the Roadster um, is the car that Tesla kind of made their that was the first car that Tesla made, and I guess this would be considered a second generation model. Well, the first car that Tesla made, yeah, it was a they they bought some Lotus uh, bodies from from the british company and use those to test out their battery technology and their original electric drivetrain they, i don't think they actually built the cars i think i'm not sure if lotus built them for them mm. in a small run but uh this next roadster uh which is actually a target top it's got a removable roof panel not necessarily what you would consider a traditional roadster but hey branding 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 so <laughs> who cares uh, it's it's something else entirely this is this is a supercar if you believe the hype the hype being that it has uh, the top a top speed of above 250 miles an hour that it will hit 60 miles an hour from a standing start in 1.9 seconds what? and it's going yeah and it's going to cost $200,000. Okay, there's a lot of things going on here. Um 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds is insane that's not possible is it well i mean i believe they're leveraging the instant on torque of its electric motor with the relatively lightweight design compared to say uh, a model s or a model x okay and i'm also already very fast and i'm also learning that this will have three electric motors so i guess two for the back and one for the front axle i Um, i don't know that's the way i would probably i would probably figure it out i don't know what do i know um (laughs) you mean you're not building electric cars no i have no i have no sense on that but that's Kind of nuts. Um, I also see Tesla says the quarter mile time will be 8.8 seconds. Yeah, that's uh, extremely fast. That is. Uh, is this possible? I think this is awesome. It sounds well, pretty awesome. You know what? It does sound pretty awesome. But I'm going to be very honest in my opinion of this news. This is a company that can't even build the Model 3. They're having huge manufacturing issues producing a basic, simple electric sedan the only vehicles they've produced so far have been delivered to people who work for the company or have an existing relationship with Tesla and are unlikely to report on any problems with the car to the media or to anyone other than Tesla. So it's almost like they're not they're not even job one cars. They're zero cars. They're cars that are still in development. What? All of that being said... I believe that last night's or the night before, whenever you're listening to this podcast, I believe that that Tesla event was designed to distract people from the fact that it's having these huge problems with a car that it actually needs to build in order to survive. I don't know how many $200,000 roadsters they're going to sell, but if they could actually build the Model 3 with decent quality, they could sell many, many, many of those. Right. So, well, I think they maybe been, have been skewered online. And I think um, Elon Musk is a pretty strong uh, or a, a pretty fragile ego. And I think they need he needs to build um, some goodwill and some high morale for the company and to help um, people be comfortable with what's going on um, with the inner workings of Tesla. And um, I think announcing this really exciting product 
um, is one way to do it is to remember that they're still an innovative car company, even if they're they're not firing on all cylinders right now, um, that they can still do it. They can they're always on the cutting edge of the car industry and the electric car industry. I mean, you can build as many prototypes as you want, but that doesn't make you a car company. What makes you a car company is being able to build a product that people can buy. And I think that that would be way more exciting, at least to me, if the Model 3 was out there and available for people who want an affordable electric car with great range. To me, that's way more exciting than yet another extremely expensive exotic car that only a few people will ever buy. And that isn't even as quick as, you know, something like the Koenigsegg or the Chiron or what, whatever. It's it's There are already cars that are way faster than 250 miles an hour. So I just <clears throat> it, it, it feels cynical to me to do Mm -hmm. this kind of thing, and I think that's what bothers me the most about it, but I can't help but treat this vehicle as vaporware until the company proves that it can build cars on a consistent basis, and not only that, deliver them to actual customers. So, I'm I'm really, like, I'm really stuck in the the middle here, because I've, uh, I don't know how many Model S's you see in, um, in Montreal, but I feel like I see a bunch every day. Like I, they're a regular site here. Sure, there, um, there, there are a fair number of them that you see. But if you look at their actual sales figures, it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, Tesla is not really making a huge dent in the in the market, and the Model Three is the car that is going to be able to do that for them. You know, that is the car that is going to be mass market. It's going to be priced at the point where people can buy, you know, people who aren't necessarily wealthy can purchase this car. And that's what they need to stay afloat. Volume is so important. And that's why companies like BMW and Mercedes and Audi have gone into all of these crazy niches because it's the only way they can survive. And if you look, if you look at, I'm looking at Model S sales right now, they sold 29,000 cars last year. Holy, okay. Well, 29,000 cars. That's how for, many Model S's were sold. Yeah, that's a, that is not real automaker numbers, right? Like no, that's it's, like it's, a hand-built boutique shop. It's number. very boutique and the Model 3 Well, maybe it's more than a boutique. Boutique is uh, sometimes in the hundreds or something like that. You know, it's the, more than I think Lamborghini would sell, right? Yeah, but Lamborghini is supported by a huge company first of all and mm-hmm. it turns its profit in a very different way. Tesla doesn't turn a profit whatsoever. Yeah, I, I look- this is the thing that bugs me the most about um, promoting a car company or thinking that a car company is on the up is when they don't make any money and they've been doing this for a while. Now. I think the, the Model S has been in production since the thir- 2013. Um, that's four years. And uh, to still see it um, struggling to make uh, a profit for the company and to turn those lessons that they learned when making the Model um, S for that long, um, in, in, and they're still struggling with the Model 3, that's, that's a the, bit of it. And the Model X did 18000 last year and has done 20000 this year to date. So you're looking mm-hmm. at a car, company, sorry, you're looking at a company that has built, 50, it's selling 50,000 vehicles a year mm-hmm. across the board. That is hugely problematic. When they when if they want to really make their message clear their their message clear that the electric vehicles are um, sustainable and profitable and um, just as good as the convention uh, internal combustion motor uh, internal combustion engine car, um, it's too it seems like it's really difficult for them to make that point. Well, it's it's, it's not even a question of making the point. It's a question of survival. You right. can't you can't survive selling nothing for an indeterminate period of time. It just doesn't. Do you know how many F one fifties Ford sold last year? 
500,000? It's more than that. Is it really? Yeah, I think I think F series did 750,000 units last year. Ouch. Yes, but those are different. They sell to fleets, they sell to um, contractors and workers and people who are, you know, doing stuff with their cars more you're, than just using it as a commuter. You're definitely right. They are different because they exist and they're sold and they have a customer. <laughs> and I, I misspoke. They sold 820,000 F-Series last year. Okay. I think it's not fair to compare anything to an F-Series sell, sales numbers. Nothing comes close. Well, so you know, don't be don't be too don't jump on on Tesla for not competing with the most sold every year vehicle. That's okay. insane. That's not that, fair. That is a fair thing to say. Give me something with the give me give me something from a small automaker, say Mazda or Subaru, um, that um, that would um, that may be a little bit more comparable because these are small automakers. They're not new they're not new automakers. Um, but they're small, and I think that might be a little bit more comparable. Sure. Uh, well, let's take a look at the Legacy. They sold. Uh, they sold. Sorry, the Impreza. They sold eighty-eight thousand Imprezas last year. Okay, but that's a really affordable. That's twenty thousand dollar car. Yeah. Well, I mean, Subaru doesn't have anything that's not really affordable. So what I'm <laughs> saying is that Tesla needs this model, the Model Three, to be its Impreza. It needs to be the volume. I mean, Mercedes sells twenty thousand S classes a year, but it makes considerable profit off of them because some of those cars are two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, te- Tesla. Okay, so now Tesla's offering a two hundred thousand, or, or wants to be offering a two hundred thousand dollar Roadster. Maybe that's where the cash's at. No, there's there's no way they're going to sell twenty thousand, two hundred thousand dollar Roadsters because, like I said, some car, some of the S classes are two hundred fifty thousand dollars. The majority of them aren't. Uh, it's it's they're able to leverage the investment they made in the S class platform by selling these high end versions of the car while also doing reasonable volume on the lesser versions of the car because they're an actual automaker that has a business plan. <laughs> Tesla is none of those things. And that is why, it, you know, it, I I want them to succeed because more options for customers is always a good thing. But the way they're proceeding makes it very hard to see how that's possible. I'm going to be blunt with you. I agree with you. I can't believe that they don't have a sustainable business pra- uh, model. Um, and... That's a huge issue for them moving forward. But what I really love is that um, they dare the rest of the automakers to step up to the plate um, in terms of electric um, electric vehicle innovation. And I am hoping for another automaker to take the bait. And I think we saw Chevrolet do that with the Bolt. Um, and they've offered a $30,000, 200-mile um, range car and it's a very um, good car another another company that's and, and, ex- and it exists it exists it's real i've driven it you can go buy it right now another company that's really stepped up to the plate and taken the bait as you put it is porsche with the mission e mm-hmm. i mean the mission e is an absurdly uh threatening vehicle i think to right. tesla because and this is a car company that can do exactly what Tesla is struggling to do. Yeah, what what the mission E is is it, it it's the Porsche has the manufacturing resources to make this car a reality. They can make as many as they need to. Not only that, it doesn't have to be profitable because they have other models that will support it so they can afford to push it into the market and give it time to develop its own base of buyers. These mm-hmm. are all luxuries that Tesla doesn't have. Tesla has been relying on venture capital. It's been relying on deposits from potential customers. There's a whole bunch of it's the company yeah. operates outside of a standard manufacturing company Absolutely. and 
in that in that way it's allowed it a flexibility to develop things that maybe would be harder to develop at a traditional automaker but it also it's comes ca- with but it's, it's also catching up to them now right yeah like, it comes with a set of liabilities and those liabilities have made themselves very apparent with the model 3 so i mean i found i i hate to do this and i hate to to talk uh, like outside of the the scope of of this co- this conversation on tesla but you know like every once in a while i'm i'm out for dinner or something and i can overhear someone's conversation talking about uh tesla model s's and they're so super cool and somebody gets really excited about it and i turn into I, I go, I get kind of like triggered. I go like, they, but they don't make any money. They don't know what they're, you know, they don't know how to, to make, how to put cars in people's hands um, who really, really want them. They have these really unaccessible vehicles, $100,000 um, quality issues, um, things that seem like they're they're pushing the envelope, but at the same time are really falling behind in the, in the core values of what it takes for an automaker. And I, I, I'm, Today, when I'm talking to you about this, hearing about a 1.9 second sprint to 60 in an electric vehicle, that sounds exciting. But I also am, I know the reality that it, it, there's a chance that um, Tesla is struggling and they're trying to um, distract people from that, that, those struggles. Is that appropriate? Is that a good balance of the, of the conversation here? Hey, you're free to hold whatever opinion you, you want to hold. <laughs> okay. Um, well, maybe I'll quit ranting about it. Um, and I suppose that might be it for this week's podcast. Is yeah, that... I think I think we can wrap things up right there. Okay, perfect. Um, next week I have um, an exciting four car comparison, uh, four crossover comparison, two new cars and uh, two brand new models and two long time um, staples of the industry. Are you interested in knowing what they are, or are you excited about uh, me teasing it for next week? Hit me with those details. Okay, the new cars are the Volkswagen Tiguan and the Chevrolet Equinox, while the old favorites are the Honda CRV and the Nissan Rogue, which are two very popular cars in the segment. And next week for myself, I will be driving, and I am currently driving actually, the Lexus LC500 and the 500H. I believe oh, that's wow, cool. Back to back, that's the hybrid and the V8 version of the ultra luxury coupe grand touring extravaganza that Lexus has unleashed. I, I, I drove these cars back in February in Hawaii, and I believe we talked about them then during the launch. But this is my first time driving them day to day. It's wet, it's cold, it's ugly out there. This is the realities of driving. It's not sunny and there's no palm trees. So we'll <laughs> see how that affects my impression. And I'll also be driving the uh, Prius Prime which is oh, okay. something I'm, I've never driven. Uh, it's the plug-in version of the Prius, and I'm pretty interested to see um, if I can get beyond the admittedly... What's the word I'm looking for, Sammy? Individualistic styling of the car. Well, I think the Prius Prime is actually the better looking of the Prius lineup right now. Is that um, really a compliment, though? I know. That's what I was going to follow it up with, although that's not saying much. Uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it next week. It's going to be uh, another fun podcast. But for now, if you want to catch up on our older podcast, you can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can also subscribe there um, using whatever platform of choice. And if you're interested, I suggest that you go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash unnamedautomotivepodcast. And you'll find us there and some photos and links to our latest content. If you uh, want to get in touch with us directly, you can do so on Twitter. Sammy's Twitter handle is at 
Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And mine is at Hunting Benjamin. You can also message us through Facebook. It's uh, very easy to do that. And we also post links, as Sammy mentioned, links to our content on Facebook, but also links to our content on unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, along with the occasional photo or two of what we're driving and where we are. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch up with you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.